Welcome to Dramatic Pause, being recorded on the ancestral and unceded territory of the Musqueam, tsleil and Squamish nations at the Fire Hall Art Centre in what is now downtown Vancouver. My name is Donna Spencer, artistic producer at the Fire Hall and the host for today's podcast. And I'm delighted to have as my guest, Russell Wallace. Russell has had a long con- connection to the Fire Hall and is an amazing musical storyteller. Russell, welcome, and please bring yourself into the room. Katwa Alap. Hello, it's me, Russell, and I'm entering this room. Um, that is, I guess, virtual because, yeah, I'm already in some kind of room. But um, yeah, hello. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. <laughs> and that takes me right to the first point I was going to make, is you have such an incredible sense of humor. Uh, and I follow you on Facebook and some of your puns are pretty amazing. <laughs> so I'm wondering where that humor comes from. Um, gee, I don't know. I, well, both my parents had a sense of humor and my dad more so. Like he would poke fun at people and he would observe people. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, he was, he was fun to be around. And, but yeah, uh, other than that, I think most of, well, most of my puns come from my bad hearing because I hear somebody say something and I'm not sure what they said. And, and sometimes I repeat it back and they go, that's not what I said. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so yeah, most of my puns are how I hear things, I guess, or how bad I hear things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, maybe you hear them better than most people. Actually. <laughs> uh, now, were you born in Vancouver or did your family move here? Um, I was born in Tacoma, Washington, when my parents were were down there. Uh, my family was one of the first indigenous families who were migrant workers down in Washington State when the farms were starting to uh, produce crops back in the, the 50s. So, um, yeah, I was born down there, and then my parents moved back to Canada when I was about two, and I uh, grew up in grew up in East Van on on 18th and Main, Mount Pleasant area. My neighborhood. Uh-uh. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, but what nations, do you mind sharing what nations your family comes from, your families come from? Your two families? I'm not assuming that your father and mother are from the same nation, but they may be. Um, they, they both are. Yeah, they both are Statlium. Uh, but my mom comes from a community called Hachlip, which is near Lillooet. And my father is from Lilwat, which is uh, Mount Curry near Pemberton. And uh, they both speak Statlium. And um, uh, although there's slight differences between Southern and Northern Statlium, and I heard that um, like almost every day with different, uh, <laughs> my dad would say something and my mom said, no, that's not how you say it. This is how we say it. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and do you speak Statlium? Or did you? Um, no, not fluently. Uh, my parents, well, my father made the decision not to, to teach us younger kids. Um, he felt it was better that we learn English because we were growing up in, in the city. And, uh, but I mean, also he, you know, what my parents went through in residential school, he didn't want us to, you know, uh, encounter the same type of thing. Um, but my mom, you know, she always sang the songs and I loved music. And so I sang with her and, and picked up the language from, from singing the songs. And um, as I get older now, it's like it's harder to pick up, pick up a second language. And, uh, you know, I wish I had done it earlier. But, you know, you, when you're young, you think, oh, you know, I'll, I'll do it when I'm older. I'll be able to do it then. And it's like, no, you can't. <laughs> Well, it's it's uh, one of the things that I've been hearing, and I'm still having real difficulty with, is that that the use of the the use of your uh, mouth and your tongue is so <laughs> different uh, in, when you're using whether it's a Spanish or French or um, uh, uh, an in, indigenous language, and and it's interesting. Uh, I was having a conversation with Halimia Sparrow about this, and she said a lot of the Musqueam, the, and I cannot say the correct, I can't say this correctly, Hoquiam. I think it might be language. I might have that wrong, and I apologize if I don't uh, have it right. Um, is comes really from the sound of the land. Yeah, uh, I know the elders always talk about the language being connected to the land, and 
uh, all the culture being connected to the land. And um, yeah, and yeah, Salish is pretty peculiar in, in that there's a lot of consonants. And so, and there's a lot of consonants that are not even in English. So like, you know, the consonant is like coming from the back of your throat. And so, you know, not a lot of English speakers <laughs> have that. <laughs> well, yeah, because your your mouths are trained in the your <laughs> your your first language, really. So to get around that, it's that I think that's another reason why it's so much easier for younger children to learn a second language, is because mm-hmm. they haven't a pattern. They're they're <laughs> there's the pattern's not instilled that this is how I use my mouth when I sing or when I do talk. So yeah, yeah, certainly exposure is really important at a younger age. Well, and I can understand why your parents would have wanted to keep you safe. I mean, it makes sense given the actions that were taken in terms of uh, trying to take language away and succeeding in many, many cases during Mm -hmm. the residential schools. Um, So it was your mom's singing that turned you on to music. Is that really what 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 was it that made you want to become a musician and a singer? Well, Apparently, I was playing records when I was like two years old. So um, I know my older brothers, uh, Rick and Ron, always, and they're about six and seven years older than me. And they were, you know, given the task to look after me sometimes. And <laughs> they didn't want to. So they plopped me in, down in front of the record player and leave me there. And I guess I would stay there, you know, for hours on end, like just <laughs> playing records. Wow. So, so vinyl has had a huge impact on your life. <laughs> it has, and I, I guess I broke a couple of turntables. And but, um, but yeah, I mean, not being able to read, I, I looked at the labels of the you know the record labels and new songs that I liked by the color of the record label or the design on the label. So, you know, I knew Motown was you know blue and and gray and, and purple and you know, Epic Records had a yellow label. And so, yeah, it was, yeah. That's things. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Color association. <laughs> and then you found yourself, I think, before you came and uh, worked with us here at the Fire Hall, I think you were involved in Spirit Song, were you not? Yeah, yeah. Spirit Song was a, a really great place and uh, provided a lot of opportunities for the ind- Indigenous arts community, not just theater, like... A lot of the people that went through there became filmmakers or choreographers. Uh, um, and I gravitated toward music after Spirit Song. So um, it's really important that, you know, the community has access to, you know, these these spaces. We, we don't have it anymore. Spirit Song doesn't exist. And, um, you know, we don't have that space where we can hang out like I know you know we used to go there and hang out after you know the classes were done and just you know speak to the students or you know or we'd have friends that are there and go see the show there and and so it was a real a real networking place and um yeah uh I think in the mid 90s it just sort of collapsed under a number of a number of issues I guess that you know were, were about at that time but um yeah, Spirit Song is a real important uh, uh, connection to you know the, the Indigenous arts community for a lot of us. And, well, and um, that was that was the eighties, uh, early mid eighties kind of thing, and which was really forward thinking at that time by the people. And I believe I'm I'm not sure exactly who pushed to have it formed, but I think Rose Point was involved in that. I think there were a number of people involved in getting that going. Yeah, it was uh, actually. It was connected to uh, Vancouver Community College and uh, Native Education College, and and it was an umbrella organization called the Urban Native Indian Education Society. So, um, but yeah, Rose Point was a big part of it for a long time, and uh, uh, yeah, I think in 1986 is when I started. Um, like the year long program, which was the first one at Spirit Song. And so, yeah, Evan Adams was part of that. So, you know, like I Do- said, you know, Dr. Evan Adams, doc- or- sorry, yeah, Dr. <laughs> Evan Adams. Sorry, sorry, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, um, 
the first medical officer in BC of Indigenous heritage, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what his title is now, but hello, <laughs> Evan. Uh, he's also directed a co-directed a show here, and he's oh, you know cool. he's an amazing actor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I also wanted to recognize that uh, Rose Point very uh, uh, much deserved. Uh, has a school named uh, uh, elementary school named after her again the first indigenous uh, name well and it's not her it's named Rose Point not in her what her uh, indigenous name might be but uh, at least that school now exists on the west side of Vancouver which is pretty fabulous I think mm-hmm. yeah she did she did a lot for the community she did. She was a go-getter. I remember going out to her place uh, uh, for, I think, uh, for for dinner or something. I remember when we were doing um, uh, our training program, which you came to from Spirit Song, along with Columpa Bob and mm-hmm. a number of other wild and wonderful individuals <laughs> <laughs> who've gone on and done a lot of great things, actually. Um, uh Okay, I'm going to spend a lot of time on this, but when you were on the training program here at Vancouver at the fire hall, and we had uh, a number of individuals in, in individuals involved in that, uh, we did two kind of really wacky projects, and they they do kind of reflect your sense of humor because I think you came up with the idea behind them, um, behind the titles anyway. Uh, one of them was called Mainstream, and it started out as Mainstream, and it was really, that was the first uh, version of it. Um, and it was really, um, we were trying to address uh, the lack of inclusion um, in the arts uh, uh, and the diversity of Canada in that piece. And finally, we, we did it, and I don't know, it was what it was the first time, and for some reason we decided to go back and do it again. And um, it had music involved in it. And we had uh, Jay Ono, Vinyal Kumar. Uh, I'm going to forget some uh, of the names. But anyway. Mercedes, that, yeah. Mercedes Baines, yes. And was Columpa was, must have been in that project. Columpa Bob. Yeah, yeah. Um, Amelda. Who's going to say Amelda Marcos. <laughs> uh, the shoe uh, woman. But no, Amelda yeah. Vihong. Um, yeah. And it was quite a fabulous uh undertaking so the second time we went back and did it again we wanted to do something different with the title and you came up with mainstream up the creek without a paddle and i i thought i thought that was a very funny i thought it was hilarious i went this is a great this is exactly what we're trying to talk about and you were able to capture that in up the creek without a paddle i don't know where it came from but it was a wonderful suggestion and uh, I see pictures of that. And essentially, uh, do you want to talk a bit about what, because you did the music for that. Yeah. Do you remember it? Uh, vaguely. But <laughs> <laughs> um, well, was that, would that have been your first musical show that you did? I mean, of, of, of in theater? That I want to acknowledge, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, you don't even, you don't necessarily acknowledge it i don't think we're planning to bring it back (laughs) but it was pretty incredible actually that we were able to do that with so little resources and it it it's i I don't know there's some of the scenes are pretty memorable (laughs) and then we did another one and this was one that you you guys all came up with i don't think it had i don't remember having much to do with the idea behind it but it was called christmas wrapping and you were rapping, and this was had to be what 1988, maybe. Uh, yeah, it was 1988. Yeah, because I remember. Yeah, that was that, that was what I was referring to. The first one that I would acknowledge. Oh, that uh, would be the first one, not mainstream <laughs> up the big battle. Okay. Um, yeah, 1988, because I remember uh, uh, Ridley was born. My my eldest son was born in 1988, and yeah, we were in the middle of production and he was due to be born at any time. So it was kind of nerve wracking, like, you know, expecting getting a phone call and say, hey, better get to the hospital. And, uh, but yeah, he waited for like a week after we finished performing. We finished that. Yeah. So it was, uh, but yeah, it it was a collective thing. And I think we just, um, we were given the opportunity, you know, said, you know, you have the stage and, you know, for what, what, however long it was. And then, yeah, we just improvised scenes. And then, you know, I had access to 
you know, recording equipment at home. And, and so I recorded a bunch of tracks that we used as a basis for, for the music. And, um, it, it was, it was fun. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know we look back and we, I think all of us kind of cringe. It's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and Sid, bless his heart. <laughs> he, he, you know, videoed all of it and, you know, he shows it all the time and we're like, oh, that's like blackmail material, but. <laughs> and see, Sid, Sid Chowtan was on that project he as was. well. His main, <laughs> his main focus was videographer. But, you know, what I, why I wanted to bring it up was, like, I think you guys, what, what you were trying to do and what you were trying to stay was pretty much ahead of what was being said anywhere else. I mean, it really was, and you guys were pushing it forward. And I remember going, Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I think people will get the pun. Maybe. Uh, I don't know that the rapping was particularly fabulous, <laughs> but no, it was there, which was, was really, there. it was there, which was fun. And so when I do, when Sid does post it, I, every once in a while I go, oh, well, this is just a, just a reminder of that you and the group were thinking ahead or outside of the box of what was being thought about then. Uh, I mean, it might've been being thought about, but it certainly wasn't on anybody's stage. Yeah, no, it was, it was pretty interesting. Cause yeah, I know we, I remember, you know, us talking about indigenous, you know, uh, winter ceremonies and stuff. And a lot of this wasn't, you know, talked about on stage at all. And, and, uh, so, yeah, I think it was good in that way. It's like we, you know, kind of said, well, you know, people say Christmas time, but like we think of December as, you know, winter ceremonies and such. So, yeah, I, I think that was the, you know, the best part of it is that we were including all of this knowledge that, you know, we wanted to share from our, our own experiences as well. And do you think we should bring it back? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no, not without massive rewrites. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, that was a that was a pretty fabulous time, actually. When I look back on it, uh, it was a pretty amazing time, and I wish uh, we could find the resources to continue to do similar programs and just set people free to do do their work in the theater. Yeah. No, I I remember a lot of training because I mean we're doing both you know, professional production and training at the same time. And, and, you know, ha there was a lot of wonderful teachers. Like I think of, um, Gail, Gail uh, Murphy, Gail Murphy doing, you know, teaching us voice and she was amazing. And like, I learned so much from, you know, being in her class, uh, Barbara Bourget as a, one of the dance instructors who, yeah, my back was, <laughs> I hurt my back in, in that dance class, but um, uh, I persevered. And uh, Gina Bastoni? Gina uh, Bastoni, yeah. Doing some comedy. and So yeah, we were so fortunate that we had, you know, these teachers come into, into the space and share their knowledge. And even though sometimes we were probably not the best students. <laughs> well... Yeah, I mean, I think uh, when I when I think back about that, that whole structure of that training program was based on what I had experienced. Mm. And probably if we were to do it again, we would look at it quite differently in terms mm. of the engagement of bringing elders into the process and and really trying to um, dig a bit deeper into the connections between uh, the mainstream culture um, and the disconnections <laughs> and the connections of the individuals that were on the program, because for those in those years, we had quite an incredible amount of diversity. And uh, but it, when again, when I look back, I go, OK, I think we would do it slightly differently, <laughs> but but it still had a huge impact. And I wish the resources were there to do it again. And maybe they will be at some point. So you sing with your family um and you do a lot of that work i think but you also play the drums and you also create your own music so i'm just wondering um what you have been doing during covid when we can't gather uh and how you've been finding ways to gather and sing with your family but also what you've been up to so there's a wide open question wide open yes um gee COVID, uh, I've been catching up on a lot of Netflix and uh, 
playing a lot of video games. Um, but yeah, other than that, no, I've. Well, it's weird because at the beginning of the pandemic, like when everything was shut down, I thought, oh, I have lots of opportunity to work on my own stuff, and but I couldn't. Like it was a weird thing. Like I tried and I tried, but I, there was like a block. I couldn't do anything. Um, and uh, you know, I think it's because of that alienation, that that isolation. Uh, you know, as a singer, you know, I I sing with other people. That's my <laughs> that's my thing. Um, but I mean, yeah, we. Uh, I, I my sister lives upstairs, so you know, it's that's part of my bubble. And you know, my brother and my my son are in you know my bubble as well. So when we have an opportunity to sing, you know, we, we love to do that. And we've had a, a couple of times, I know we actually a couple of times at the fire hall the last year, like in at the end of summer with uh, savage society, we did a, a bit of a concert outside in a courtyard. And then, uh, with full circle, we did a, a bit of a concert down in the, in the theater when, you know, they were, uh, shooting some of the footage for the talking stick festival so yeah you know having these opportunities is really great and um but i mean also you know i've I've been wanting to put out a cd for years and you know i've had a lot of material and uh but this last couple of months i just decided i gave myself a deadline i said i i need to put it out and so i i put it out on my birthday like i said this will be my birthday present to myself and uh, but I forgot how much <laughs> how much work it is to get to the point of getting it out and distributed. But uh, I did it, and it's out out online. And uh, which again is another thing I have to learn. I'm so used to you know getting CDs pressed and doing a CD launch and all that stuff. But yeah, it's like this all all this online stuff is new to me, and it's like taking me a bit longer to learn. The, <laughs> the ins and outs of internet streaming music. Well, and I think, I think that's a, there's an assumption out there that it's easy to do streaming or recording. I mean, I, uh, you know, the, the, as we all tried to pivot when we were closed down to, to actually get some connection out to people. Uh, I, we found out how much, I mean, it's a lot of work. It's not easy. And I think that's one thing that's kind of not being recognized is the amount of, difference there is between a live performance and a streamed performance or a streamed recording of a performance uh, or even a recorded performance that has been recorded and edited uh, and then streamed. Uh, so I think there's a, a bit of a, a, an awareness of how complicated it is. I'm not saying that um, those who are watching it uh, don't appreciate the work we do. I just don't think people understand how much difference there is between the forms really um yeah and what what actually triggered you to say okay i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna do it by my birthday was there something that happened in your life that or was it just you got up one morning and went okay russell i've been playing too many video (laughs) games it's time to get on with this yeah i think that was it (laughs) just like that Uh, eh? (laughs) just like that um no i i during the pandemic, I've written a couple of other like new songs and I thought, oh, this would be cool to put on the CD. And, and, but I mean, like kind of looking at the material and, uh, thinking, well, I could go on like this. I could go on forever writing new songs for the CD and never putting out a CD. So I, I said, you know, okay, this is the last song that I'm writing for the CD. And so I did that back in, I think it was like, September or October and, you know, determined, okay, this is the last one. I'm going to get it, you know, bring in musicians to record and, and get it done. And, you know, once I had all the songs that I I wanted on the CD and I listened to them, okay, I found an order and, and yeah, I said, okay, this needs to be put out. And back in October, I gave a deadline of January just because I, like I said, it was, if I, as an artist, if I don't have a hard deadline, I kind of let things slide. <laughs> I'm not good with my own deadlines. Other people's deadlines I'm good with, but my own, like, I'm like, uh, you know, it's like, <laughs> I didn't make that deadline. No, well, you know, there's another couple of months I can do it or whatever, but, or a couple of years even. So, 
yeah, deadlines are really good for me. And I, I think I, a lot of artists are like that. <laughs> I, I know a lot of playwrights that are like that. I, uh, I mean, I think also, you know, when we get into rehearsal and we're rehearsing, we have a deadline, which is opening night, which actually <laughs> drives us uh, to do more. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I know that for myself personally, uh, I mean, we have grant deadlines that we have mm -hmm. to do in the arts, but on the other side of it, what really has, I've had difficulty with is going, okay, well, you have to get this done by this time because the show's going up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, no. yeah, it's not just yourself. I think it's pretty widespread. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah. we're gonna we're gonna hear something from um, uh, the the album the digital album is called <laughs> Unseated Tongues, but before we get there, I'm curious if you could share how you actually managed to record this. Like, did you go into a studio or did you meet online and and how did that work? Yeah, the last couple of songs, I you know I do have you know recording you know, stuff at home so I can record at home. Um, but yeah, the, the other musicians that are on there, like I contacted them and, and, you know, I asked them, well, do you have a way to record at home? And you could send me tracks that I can mix and, and most, most musicians do. And so like they have stuff set up at home. And so like, you know, the piano player, Tilden Webb, I asked him, well, can you do a track for me on this song? And so he played piano and sent it to me and, uh, Dave Say on sax, I asked him the same thing and he goes, yeah. And, you know, sent me a couple of, uh, tracks to, to work with. And so, yeah, it, it was all, majority of it was done online. Uh, before the pandemic hit, I, I did go into the studio and, and, uh, a couple of the songs we just did live from the floor. So like, uh, My Lila Wat Love and, Moon of Open Hands are two songs that we just, you know, had all the musicians in the same room and we did live off the floor. And so, uh, which is another way of recording. And, you know, that it's also pretty fun and pretty stressful too, because you, <laughs> you're doing multiple takes sometimes. Um, so yeah, there's a variety of ways that the, you know, the recordings happened. And yeah, again, some of them took a couple of years because um yeah like I thought well I need another voice or I need another element in here and but it's all self-funded because you know I'm I rarely get grants for my own work so like it's like whenever I had extra money it's like okay you know rather than putting it to something else I always put it to recording or buying uh an instrument or you know a recording device or something so Music yeah. is my uh... passion, I would say, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my, my cash deficit. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think uh, it, it's easy for people to think about, oh, I'll just get a grant to do this. But get uh, grants can also really have a huge impact on how you're able to do something. Uh, and they do take a lot of time to, to work on getting. But I'm surprised. Uh, at, well, one, it, the energy that you put into creating your work probably um hopefully in the long run will have more impact than the amount of energy it takes to create and get a grant uh they don't just happen <laughs> no no <laughs>
So let's uh, tell me a bit about Please Come Back to Me and why you picked that one for this particular album. Um, it, was, it was one of the last ones I put together. And uh, originally I wrote the, you know, the chord structure and, you know, got the basic elements in there. And so I was improvising words to the song and, and the words that came to me were words that my mom would sing. And uh, it was a song, um, a song that she would sing. And as a family, we never sang it with her, like, because it was such a... um, the way she sang it was really challenging. Like, you know, it would start and then she'd go like really high and come back down. It was like a really, like in terms of range, it was a dynamic range and none of us had, <laughs> none of us inherited, that <laughs> inherited that range. Uh, so that was one of the issues. But um, it was like really close to her because she said her aunt would sing it to her um, and, you know, taught her the song. And when her aunt would sing it, you know, her aunt would be crying, singing it, and her aunt would explain what the song was about. And, and but basically the lyrics are, are saying, um, my heart really aches for you, please come back to me. And, you know, that's the extent of the lyrics. And, um, but my mom said she talked about a time when people were dying, like it was, you know, people were dying really quickly in, in the community, like, you know, her family and her loved ones, um, you know, all within a couple of months, basically. And and then I realized, oh, this is, she's talking about 1918. Um, November 1918, uh, there was a lot of deaths in Hachlip, my mom's community. And I, I remember this because uh, when I was doing a family tree and looking up you know, death certificates at the library. And, and there was a whole slew of them that happened within a couple of months in 1918. And at that point, I forgot about the pandemic. And I was like, what happened during this time? There's so many deaths. And, and so like, when I was singing these words, I'm like, these are words from the last pandemic. Yeah, the Spanish flu. Yeah, the Spanish flu. And um, when yeah, that occurred to me. I'm like, uh, I'm in, we're in the middle of a new pandemic. And I think this is, you know, this has to be on the CD. This ha- I have to finish this song. And, and so, yeah, it got me determined to record it. And yeah, like I said, I brought in Tilden Webb on, on piano and Dave Say on sax and Andreas Schuld on guitar. And so, um, yeah, and singing those words to it, to it like, uh, yeah, it, it is such a, I don't know, a, a coinc- I'm not, I, I don't know, coincidence or um, synchronicity, synchronicity, a weird kind of synchronicity. Yeah, and, and yeah, uh, but yeah, it's. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It's like well, I think I mean it's. I, I was going to ask you this question because I'm almost curious when I talk to writers and creators and um and choreographers and obviously musicians um whether the song or the intention comes from them or whether it flows through them so uh obviously it seems to me in this case you were singing this was this was coming back to you because you'd heard your mother sing it but i i have to wonder if something else (laughs) was uh, sending it out through you. To, I mean, do you know what I mean? Like uh, uh, intuitively, we make choices, and who's who's in charge of that intuition, or who's in charge of that creativity, or is there anyone in charge, or just do we stay open to it and it comes through us? Um, I mean, yeah, I I like to think that you know it it comes through me. Like uh, uh, sometimes I don't know where they come from, and like all of a sudden you know, they're there, I'm singing it or, or, you know, I'm writing it or whatever. And, um, yeah, it was one of those times that was like, okay, oh yeah, I remember these words and then, you know, singing along and then, yeah, the realization later, I'm like, oh, I didn't intend to write, you know, write this, but it came out that way. And, uh, another song like that was Moon of Open Hands. It's like, I wrote that in my head while I was singing another, 
song, <laughs> which is kind of weird because you're singing a song and then another song is entering your head. So you kind of turn off your, I don't know, your body just kind of goes on itself and start, you know, singing the song that you finishing the song you have to sing. Um, but as soon as I finished the song, I had to sing this new song that was in my head. And, and so I did that and like, it came out and like, I was just like, where did that come from? Like, it was just automatic and I had to keep singing it. Otherwise I'd forget it. And like, (laughs) (laughs) before uh, we move on, I think it's really important that we acknowledge how many uh, people that we have lost during COVID, but I know it's also really impact impacted the indigenous community and, um, uh, uh, certainly, I am aware of a number of people who we lost, who we lost from the Indigenous community, and and I'm um, just wanting to say uh, my heart goes out to those who have lost a lot of family members, and I know you've been impacted by it, and I know others in the theater community have been tremendously impacted by it on a number of their colleagues um, who are Indigenous. So, wanted to recognize that fact and how much impact. Um, that must have on you and your family. Yeah, no, it is impactful. And yeah, I, I also want to, yeah, uh, send my thoughts out to all the people who, who've lost, you know, family and friends during this time. Uh, um, yeah, it is a, a difficult time. And, and yeah, it's not a, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but yeah. It's... Well, I think it's a difficult thing to talk about. And I, I, I'm really, um, I mean, I have to say that I'm glad that the uh, public health seems to be trying to be um, proactive in addressing the challenges that small um, communities have in, that are in isolation that for some reason somehow have, have been impacted by this virus. Um, and I know People always fall through those gaps, but um, I'm glad that there's at least a realization that that needs to be addressed in their vaccination plan, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of whether it's truly 100% successful or not. But at least they're trying to do something, which wouldn't have happened, I don't think, during the 1918 pandemic. So we're making a little bit of progress. <laughs> yeah, no, we are. And I'm glad the vaccinations are out and... Just waiting to get mine now. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure you're in line. <laughs> uh, let's move on to another song that's on this um, uh, on this album, and uh, one that I think is um, pretty impactful on your own life, which we'll talk about after. But let's go to Two Spirit and and uh, listen to that. Yeah. 
spirit. Um, two spirit uh, has a special meaning within the indigenous community, I know, um, and certainly um, in the broader community now. Uh, and I'm wondering what brought you to this song and, and, and how, uh, how you discovered and not discovered, I don't think that's the wrong, that's the wrong word, but how, how you determined, and it's probably because you're sitting at home in isolation in COVID times, what was it that allowed you to come out and feel comfortable coming out? Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was a deadline I had to meet, I guess. Um, it actually, it was, In terms yeah. of creating the song or in terms of actually going, uh, I mean, wanting to talk about it? I guess wanting to talk about it because I knew I was going to include it on the album and you know, if I put it in, out an album and there's a song called Two Spirit, people are going to like, you know, question, well, why is that there? Or, you know, like, why are you... Oh, dare he do that. Why yeah. <laughs> are you appropriating Two Spirit culture? Or, yeah. And I didn't want that to happen. So, like, that's why just before the CD came out, I, yeah, I just, you know, came out on, <laughs> came out publicly. Um, and, but yeah, the song... I had written it a long time ago, and and it was a choral piece actually, and and so you know, I think the Vancouver Peace Choir did it a couple of years ago, at one of their concerts, and uh, but yeah, as as I put the song together, it kind of grew as well. Like so, there's a lot of different um, uh, two spirit uh, people on on the track, you know, that are singing or you know, two spirit allies. Um, so it was really, you know, I thought I wanted to include these people because they're, first of all, they're friends of mine and, you know, I love them a lot and, and you know, really respect their work. So uh, Rach, Rachel Kyo Iwasa is playing piano and she's like a, you know, a really cool pianist that works a lot in new music and classical music. Um, uh, Kage Eileen. She works with the taiko community, and uh, so she plays taiko on there. Uh, Noreen Braun is another person who I work with a lot, and she's two-spirited. And Will William George, who works with Erato Ensemble and other um, new music ensembles, is also on there. So uh, Tiffany Moses and Deanna Gestrin. Um, gosh, I can't remember all the names offhand, but... Yeah, they, they, these were people that were, you know, either two-spirited or, you know, two-spirit allies that I felt, uh, I wish, you know, wanted to include on this. And, um, but yeah, the composition, it, yeah, like I said, it was a kind of like a choral thing. And, and I didn't intend it to be, you know, when I wrote it, I didn't intend it to be called that, like, but when I heard it back, it's like there's two voices happening. And I thought, well, that's kind of what I feel like Two-Spirit is. And, and yeah, I mean, all these uh, terms shift over time. And, you know, just like back in the 80s, we're called Indians and now yeah. we're called Indigenous. So, you know, there's a shift in how we identify and call ourselves. And for me, Two-Spirit is the closest thing that describes me. I'm, you know, I... I don't identify as gay or straight. So like kind of in the middle somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and two spirited individuals. Now I know that this has changed cause history, history changes things and actually makes things more difficult sometimes and more easy other times, <laughs> usually more difficult it seems. <laughs> but uh, in indigenous cultures is, is it, Prior to colonization, uh, was there an acceptance, more of an acceptance of a two-spirited individual or an understanding that that was cool? Um, yeah, I, I believe there was more openness to that. And uh, it's, it's documented uh, by Noreen Braun and her album called Gone to the Spirits, which was uh, uh, a woman who... Uh, eventually identified as a male warrior at, at the end of her life and had a wife and and different things. And she was from uh, Sailor's Tribe, 
kind of in northern Washington state on the eastern side there. Um, so yeah, there was an acceptance by the community of, of people who identified that way. And, 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 you know, even my mom talked about gender roles and, you know, there, there were some gender roles, but they weren't, you know, hard and fast gender roles. Like, you know, if you, you know, most of the time the men would go hunting, but I mean, like sometimes daughters would go hunting and, uh, fishing was usually kind of a, a male thing, but you know, when you have a family full of daughters, like how are you going to pass on that knowledge or, and you know, even my mom, like, you know, she taught me, you know, the, you know, the men's dance and the women's dance. Like she goes, well, you might have a daughter someday. You'll have to teach. I won't be here to teach. And so it's like, all these things are passed on and taught and like, um, yeah, so it's like we do have to be open to uh, changes in our family or environment. What do you miss most uh, being in COVID time? I think I've heard it in terms of being able to sing and meet with people, but is there anything else that you miss most? Dim sum. <laughs> Dim sum, yes. <laughs> Oh, I think you could probably go for dim sum. You just have to go with your own, <laughs> your own little uh, bubble. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. That no, that that can happen. But yeah, like I just missed that. It's not the same. Yeah, it's like that vibrancy of you know all these t- tables that are full of people and carts that are moving around and yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, singing mostly is what I miss with you know singing with people and. And sharing breath and heartbeats with people like that's uh, it's it's hard to do on Zoom. <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah. Someone asked me what I missed the most. And I said, I miss being in a theater where the audience starts to breathe together. And they went, mm. oh, you probably don't want to say that because that will <laughs> stop them from letting you reopen again. <laughs> and I went, but that is really what I miss. I love being in a live space where we actually are in it together i mean you know paddling together um so are you working on anything new right now russell or are you trying to just move that that uh digital album um no i've been really busy the last uh, few months which has been really cool i i know i i worked as an administrator for many years and which prevented me from doing a lot of artwork. And now that I, I have my own time, uh, I am working on, you know, different projects. So I uh, worked on a couple of plays in New York, actually. Uh, Spider-Woman Theater and La Mama Theater, I think is the name of the other one. And, you know, providing, um, providing music for their theater work. Um, what else? Uh actually photography <laughs> I got a, a grant to be a, a visual artist and so that was something that was really new to me and um and that was through we press and so I uh the project is called brownies with a brownie and basically um there's these old does cam- anyone remember what a brownie is though? <laughs> like not a brownie very, camera yeah. you're talking about a brownie camera yeah right? <laughs> So not very many people remember them, and but yeah, I, I have a number of old brownie cameras, and so, they, and they still, you know, sell the film for these things. So, I took uh, portraits of um, artists of color, and um, so, you know, we put together a mini, a mini exhibit, I guess, and hopefully it'll be online someday, or you know, even in a gallery. It's like because it was really cool sitting, you know, for a couple of hours and chatting with an artist and, you know, taking photos of them. And, you know, that's, that was a fun thing to do hanging out. And it was socially distant because, uh, with brownies, the ideal focal length is like six or seven feet away from the camera. So it's like, it's built in social distancing, you know? That's brilliant. (laughs) That's really brilliant. (laughs) That's fabulous. (laughs) Uh, and I always ask my guests what dramatic pause means to them. What does a dramatic pause mean to you? 
Um, a melodramatic cat. <laughs> a melodramatic cat, yeah. <laughs> Meow. <laughs> That's very good. Um, now, this is one that I want you to dream with. Um, if you were given a very large sum of money, and it might come from a grant, but it comes from somewhere, and they go, okay, Russell, you have a huge amount of money. Uh, you can do anything you want. What would you do? Um, I'd hire artists of every kind and work work on projects. Um, yeah, I one of my actually one of my superpowers is uh, getting grants for organizations or other people. My super weakness is getting a grant for myself. So it's like. <laughs> I might as well use my superpower for good and provide for the community. But yeah, no, I, I, I love supporting musicians and artists and, you know, whether it's working on my own project or, um, you know, I raised some money for the Aboriginal Writers Collective. We've just finished a project recently. And so, yeah, uh, all the money would go be recycled into the community in hopes that someday somebody would support me. <laughs> Well, and I think that's a really good intention because people tend to forget that when every when anybody gets a huge grant or a huge amount of money, generally in terms of the arts, it goes right back into the community, which then goes to help pay rent. And so it's really like it is truly recycled money. <laughs> it's quite fabulous. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to share with anyone today before we wrap this up? I don't know. I thank you for the opportunity and going down uh reviving memories that were cool and some that i still want to forget but uh <laughs> oh but, you're not going to tell me which ones <laughs> nope <laughs> but uh yeah no I, I i do miss working at the fire hall and you know i'm still in contact with Columpa, bob and amelda Villilon, and you know i see mercedes baines in the community and earl cusance once in a while and um so, yeah, it's nice developing these uh, friendships over the years. And, yeah, I drop by the fire hall and when different shows come about. And, uh, you know, whenever I'm down there, I always try to, try to drop by your office and, uh, you know, say at least say hi and, <laughs> and well, then get, always... us get ushered out by your security or something. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've got much more security now because of COVID than we usually have. <laughs> yeah. The do the dog. <laughs> What's the dog's Wookie. name? Wookie. Wookie. Oh. <laughs> He's not much of a guard dog though. No, she's not. She's really she's really not. <laughs> Dramatic pause launched in the third month of COVID-19 pandemic after the closure of live performing arts centers and theaters across Canada and around the world. This closure has created unemployment for countless numbers of artists, creative workers, arts administrative, and production staff, and has had a huge impact on the economic and emotional well-being of communities worldwide. Here in British Columbia, almost one year later, theaters remain closed while bars, restaurants, malls, and retail outlets are open. This continued shutdown has affected artistic businesses and the artistic economy greatly, but has also had a huge impact on the emotional health of audience members and lovers of live performance. The impacts of small to, on small to larger communities will be felt for some time, and we look forward to bringing audience together once again with even safer COVID protocols than those of some of the businesses that are currently allowed to be open. Dramatic Pause is made possible through the support of Canada Council for the Arts, Department of Canadian Heritage, BC Arts Council, and the City of Vancouver, and Fire Hall's many individual donors and supporters. Thank you for listening, and if you have any questions or feedback about today's podcast, please direct them to firehall at firehallartcenter.ca, and we will get back to you as soon as possible. And please have a look at how you can download this amazing digital album, Unseated Tongues. Thank you. Dramatic Pause is recorded at the Firehall Arts Centre in downtown Eastside, Vancouver. It is presented by our artistic producer Donna Spencer and produced by technical director Alastair Wallace. The Firehall Arts Centre has been producing and presenting Canadian theatre and dance since 1982, and we couldn't do this without the help of our generous sponsors, benefactors and patrons. If you'd like to support Canadian theatre and artists by becoming a donor, you can visit our website www.firehallartscentre.ca.
The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those held by the Firehall Arts Centre, its employees, or its supporting bodies. Thank you.